Welcome aboard, Captain. to the Star Trek Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we analyze and discuss Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, one minute at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris LaSalle. That would make me your other co-host, David Stoker. Hey, Dave. Chris? How are you this fine Wednesday? Oh, I think I am doing fantastic. Awesome. Uh, I'm feeling fantastic, too, because we are joined once again by returning guest to the show, Jonathan Carlisle. Hey, John. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Glad to be here. Good to have you. John, wasn't it when you were here last time on Rathacon, wasn't it your birthday? Yes, the very saw? first episode that released was on my birthday. It was on your birthday. Okay, so I was I was remembering that correctly. Yeah. Well, we missed your birthday by just a little bit. Yeah, happy belated. Yes. Well, thank you. All right, well, we're back. We're talking about Minute 63 of The Search for Spock. Minute 63 starts with Krug saying... Report status. It ends a minute later with him saying, at my command. <laughs> That's exactly what I think of. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see. This is, a, I think it's, is this? No, it's not all on the Klingon bridge. Um, but uh, I, so Krug asks for his status and I like Torg. Just boom. He gives him all the facts. It's yep. just there. That's the status. We're cloaked. Enemies closing an impulse power, and the range is 5,000 caligams? Caligams. It sounds like caligams to me. Mm, caligams. Yeah. That, that was my note. It sounded like, yeah, it sounded like caligams. I didn't know if it was a measurement of shapely legs or what was going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so caligams. Caligams. K-E-L-L-I-C-A-M. Caligams. Yes. And it's a Klingon length of measurement and used at the planetary scale. Okay. So, so in my notes, I found that uh, basically one Kelecam is approximately equal to two kilometers. So it's not one kilometer, which was what I was assuming. It is not. So when he says 5,000 Kelecams, it's 10,000 meters or... 10,000 kilometers, kilometers, yes. Okay. And you said it was on the planetary scale? That's what they. That's what the entry says. So it says, this unit of measurement was intended for use at a planetary scale and was insignificant for interstellar measurement. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So if they were like in their house, would it be like kilocams or something or decicams, millicams? I don't. Uh, I think it would be Melicams, like John Cougar Melon Camps. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so I went a little nutty on, on this thing, thinking about Kelecams, and my, <laughs> my assumption was it was kilometers, and like, well, geez, that's awfully similar. You know, kilometer, Kelecam, I mean, they're, mm. it would sound pretty close, right? And that got me thinking... Uh, uh, you guys remember Schoolhouse Rock? I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there was an episode of Schoolhouse Rock. It's not one of the more famous ones. It's one of the more obscure ones. It was Little Twelve Toe? Little Twelve to- Toes? Yes. And 
it's just it's just the one that learned that teaches you how to multiply by twelve. Hmm. But the the um, the the background is it's about oh if uh, what if an alien what if aliens were born with six fingers on one hand uh, they their number system wouldn't be base ten so they wouldn't be counting by tens they'd be counting by twelves and I know just bear with me I'm just I'm just wondering where you're going with this man <laughs> well it just got me thinking like okay so caligam is it is it is it the same thing is it a hundred is it is base ten is it a hundred meters is it you know a thousand meters is it, it must be two thousand meters but it made me wonder like do klingons use base 10 or do they use base 12 or do they use base you know eight i don't know that that's you would think for all the nerdiness in star trek that that would be covered somewhere so it, it doesn't really indicate that i don't think they went that in depth with the description of Kelicams. okay but schoolhouse rock did so what if an alien had six fingers <laughs> But most of, most of these aliens all have the same hands and stuff like that. I mean, I don't I don't know if we see their feet as often, but I think it's an I opportunity. Think, I think it's an opportunity would, for a future Star Trek episode. Somebody should take run with this base twelve thing and be like, "Well, oh, we have yeah. we have the in, so we just need to get a hold of Sully and Ted, and we'll just <laughs> that'll be our idea." We and we happen to have on the episode right now someone who can talk about someone with six fingers on their hand. And that would be Jonathan Carlyle yeah, yeah. from the from the Princess Bride minute. This is an unintended, beautiful segue. <laughs> segue into what though? Oh, oh, the six, right? The six-figured man. Yeah. But he had eleven. But he would add eleven fingers total, right? Not twelve. Right. Oh, base eleven. That'd be really weird. Yeah. See, it's it's. I don't like it. I I feel like I'm back in school. Like you know when they were trying to. I know we learned different base systems, and it was like a brain. I'm gonna. I'm going to assume that theirs is a base 10 system because our system is a base 10 system and the people who created this used a base 10 system. So I'm going to go with base 10. All right. There's got to be, we can, you can, you can cut me off if you want to, but I'm going to like, there's got to be some sci-fi somewhere and I want to find it and read it that someone created like the whole structure of the story is like based on some other thing. You know, they, somehow they've mathematically structured their story on a base 12 or, you know, something that just is, is weird and different. Yeah. And it, it, everything's totally off, right? Angles are all the wrong. They're all the wrong angle. Yeah. But I, I want it to make sense wrong. if it's, you know, for the right thing and see what it's like. There we go. Um, I'm not taking that challenge on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to Google anyway, for something like that. Well, okay, so I'll, I'll finish up one last thing. Uh, so Schoolhouse Rock, so how do you count to 12? Uh, if you have six fingers in each hand, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, deck, L, do. Oh. And and that was like, I'm like, I'm like five years old watching this thing. And on Saturday morning with a bowl of cereal in front of me, like, what am I watching? Was your mind L. just completely blown? I, I rewatched it just to research for this minute. I watched it on YouTube. And I'm watching. I'm like, this is the the most bizarre thing. Not only are they saying deck el do, they're actually you know showing these uh, totally made up symbols for what those. It's you know it doesn't look like a, a ten and eleven and twelve. It's like a squiggly mark and a and a B. It's totally off the wall. Huh. Schoolhouse Rock minute. <laughs>
All right, I'll shut up now. Sorry, <laughs> Caligams. That's that's the tangent I went down when I was thinking about units of measurement for aliens. Wow. I never would have thought of that. I feel good getting it off my chest. Fantastic. So I think Krug agrees with you because he says, good, this is the turn of luck I've been waiting for. Segway back into the minute. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I feel like everything I feel like everything he has has been good luck. I mean, how was he now all of a sudden getting lucky? I mean, he had Ventress uh Ventress. <laughs> That's wrong <laughs> wrong movie series. He had Valkris um, you know, deliver the Genesis information. He just happens to go and destroy the Grissom. He happens to go on the planet and capture oh, the scientist who dealt developed Genesis and a, you know, a Vulcan and Spock. Like, how much more luck does he need? I don't... What does he... Since you guys are the experts on, on this one right now, uh, what what is he doing? What is he trying to do? Like, right this, in this scene? Or do you think well, overall? I mean, over, overall, but how are these little things adding up to what he's trying to do overall? Like, why why is this a turn of luck that the Enterprise is coming at him? He wants so more my guess is, or he knows that Kirk knows stuff about Genesis, or well, because the the transmission that they uh, that Valkris um, intercepts is of Kirk, and he is describing what we believe to Starfleet, what has happened, why there's a Genesis planet, and the Genesis device, and all that kind of stuff. So, so I think he now that the Enterprise is closing, he is. Um, you know, this is this is luck. You know, he gets the guy who knows the most about. He can get all the information about Genesis from. Okay, so he's seeking information still at this point. Well, I think he just wants the device so he can, you know, for the glory of the Klingon Empire, so he can destroy all, you know, everyone else by yeah. making planets. Well, he doesn't want. To, he doesn't see. He doesn't see it as a planet maker. He sees it as a weapon. So he's, he wants the ultimate weapon for the Klingon Empire. So, but that's what it does. Like, what does he, what does he think? So, like, <laughs> I, I guess I'm having trouble then because what we know that the device, when detonated, will form a new matrix and thus create a planet. Uh-huh. What does he think he's going to have five of these loaded in and he's going to launch them and create five? Pl- I mean. I can't even think of the catastrophic effect that would have on the universe firing five torpedoes like at the Enterprise. <laughs> five Genesis torpedoes? Yeah. I, to me, that's what he wants the Genesis to por- torpedo. You know, uh, he goes back, you know, last minute, a failure, the most powerful destructive force ever created. You will tell me the secret of the Genesis torpedo. Yeah. If he is just using it for the destructive power, what, I mean, what is his intention? And to piggyback off what Jonathan said, like what what do you think his intentions are? And I mean, and is he smart enough to know what it does, or is this what this is all about? Is he's trying to find out what Genesis does so that he can use it for better destructive purposes? Uh, I know I, I think, asked a lot there. That, yeah, I don't know how many questions I have to answer there, but I <laughs> I, I I think with a Genesis torpedo, he's got the Death Star in his pocket. He's got a planet killer. He can go fly his bird of prey uh, into orbit around Earth or whatever planet he's pissed off at and just hold him hostage and say, if you don't give me whatever I want, I'm going to drop this thing on you guys and 
you're gone. And, and as a bonus, I get a new planet for the Klingon Empire. That's what I that's, think he wants to do with it. That's true. I think that's actually, if he knows that's what it does exactly, that's that's not that's better than having a Death Star because you still have a planet afterwards. You just wipe out a whole civilization, but you still have something you can use. <laughs> Star Trek, see, it's better than Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> My Death Star is better than your Death Star. <laughs> uh, so, so okay, so he is... So if he's using it in that regard and basically basically going to hold them hostage or in some other format, I just feel like he's very short-sighted in knowing what the repercussions are. Well, like when, especially in this movie, they basically find out that it really doesn't work. So even if he, even if he does use it, say he, he shoots it at a planet to wipe out, say Vulcan. Cause you know, since we've seen that happen recently, um, <laughs> So say he wipes out Vulcan and he has a new planet for Klingon, but but we found out with proto matter that it's it's all well, I guess there's a lot of variables in that. We don't exactly know what would happen. I I think it's still uh, and I just love this nerdy conversation we're having right now. I think it's still <laughs> proto matter or not, from Krug's point of view, it's still what he wants. It's a weapon. So yes, whether it, right. you know, whether it, you know, creates a brand new planet that the Klingon Empire can use, or it destroys an enemy's planet and then creates a new one that destroys itself in a few hours, it's still. I think that's. I think it would still be what he wants. He's got a planet killer. Yeah, essentially, he can destroy the Federation in one. You know, because if you go back to Rathacon, I mean. Spock even says, you know, whatever is there is going to be in favor of its new matrix. So whatever's there is gone. And even if the planet works and they can use it for a staging planet or they can use it for other purposes or it blows up. Yeah, it's a win-win for him. Do you think the, do you think the Klingon Empire themselves feel that way or is because we know we know. Uh, we know Krug is is a rogue. He's going rogue, right? He's not doing this on orders. He, he's doing yes. this on his own. Do you think right. the Klingon Empire sees it this way, or do they see it more just like they're they're afraid of the potential weapon that the Federation now has? Hmm. I'm getting into politics yeah. now. Sorry. Hmm. Is there any, any Klingons we... in that science crew? No. This isn't like a united effort? Well, we see the Klingons. Uh, I don't want to fast forward to the next movie, but we learn more about some of the political, you know, when the Klingons come before the Federation and talk to the, you know, the, the chancellor and, you know, they bring their case. And so I think we learn a little bit more about that maybe they were not, completely on board with this i could be wrong i could understand them being concerned <laughs> right they got a bigger they've got a bigger weapon than i do yeah but then again the federation is you know they're they don't they that was the whole point you know the marcuses were like hey yeah they knew all the good that it it, it could accomplish and they were concerned about the how it could be perverted 
uh, into a weapon. But, you know, I think ultimately they and the Federation and hopefully, the, you know, you would think the other uh, uh, factions, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Vulcan and Klingon and Romulus, um, that they would all get on board too and see the potential of it rather than being worried worried about it as a weapon. Well, I, I can yeah. see their point if they were worried because the only they've had some small exp, uh, experiments and stuff, but the what we saw in the last movie, they're like, okay, so they have this thing that can do a lot of good things, but it can also do a lot of bad things. And the one time we actually see it used, it accidentally blew up. Or, you know, it wasn't a on-purpose thing. So, and by accidentally blowing up, they destroyed a nebula and created a planet. You know, whatever happened there. So if I was somebody else, I'd be like, um, I don't know if they're using these things right. Because they just, <laughs> you know, they, they might just, it's like they just have their ship flying by a planet and, oh, whoops, it blew up and destroyed the planet all of a sudden. Yeah, I guess that could be the that could be the the Klingons beef. That, that it's just like you guys don't know how to control your own weapons, man. You can't be trusted with that. <laughs> yeah, but they shouldn't have known about it anyway. This was all done in secret. Uh, see, what were we trying to hide though? Clearly we threw, we knew it was trouble. But this was to benefit everyone. This was mm-hmm. to so we could deposit whatever life form we see fit. All right, Carol. Yeah, where is she in this movie? Yeah, she's not answering for her uh, actions here. For her crimes. <laughs> okay, coming back to the minute. Um, <laughs> 15 whole seconds into this minute. Um, I My note here was we see the Enterprise um, uh, off in the distance, kind of orbiting uh, Genesis, coming, coming around Genesis. And my note here was like, wow, this is like classic, the original series footage. Oh, my God. Uh, right? We must have like been in sync when we were taking notes on this because I literally thought that this was the Enterprise from the TV show. Yeah. Even the planet is almost like, you know, yes. just that colored <laughs> colored piece of cloth that just rolls by. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's uh, I love it for the, the nostalgic feel and... Um, I don't know if you guys have watched, you know, the the current incarnation. You can watch the original series on Netflix and stuff, but it's all the it's been all remastered and they redid right. all the special effects. And I hate it. <laughs> or I hate the special effects because all it's it doesn't look like the models, the classic model or anything. You right, know, you get yeah. these blurry shots, blurry shots of the Enterprise from far away. Um, so I love this. I love it. I love this minute for those two shots. Now, did being that we see the planet beneath them and we see it moving, I know before you had some questions about with the the sunset being quick. Like, could you triangulate from those shots, like the circumference, and you know, basically figure out how fast it's actually rotating? Oh man, it looks like it's That's kind too of too much math for me. Yeah, it is. It looks like it's kind of booking it, but I don't know what it you know would normally look like. Yeah, there's actually, uh, uh, I don't know either, but there was an original series episode where, um, and it, the names escapes me, but they were they were observing a planet and, and they were stuck in its gravity because the planet was spinning so fast. Mm. Um, and, and there's a bunch of great shots of 
from the bridge looking out through the view screen and the, and the planet is just like a blur like you know whizzing by it's going so fast and it's too bad they they didn't remember to use that because that would have been great here although it's probably not going that fast yet because then i think the people on the planet would, would literally be crushed yeah, I don't think we ever really got into, like, we did sort of talk about the sunset being too fast, but we never really talked about, like, yeah, the rotational, you know, effect and how much gravity is actually on the planet as effect, you know, as an effect of the rotation. And, but is it the, so since we're talking about it, is it the rotation of the, is it the rotation on its axis or is it its rotation around the sun? Like, is it on a Mercury-sized rotation? Like, it's very short, and that's why you're getting quick sunsets? Or is it the actual rotation of the planet is going faster? Because I feel like it would be more of the the, the first than it would be the latter. I think it was, it's, I would think it's rotating faster. That's why the sunset's setting fast. Oh, I figured it was rotating faster around the sun. That's a, if it was doing that, you get winter and then summer and then winter and summer. Which we also well, see, right? Which we also see. Oh God! Mm. All right. I love this movie. <laughs> that's a that's a that's it's a so quick much Star Trek minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got a lot to chew on. All right. Um, Chekhov says nothing on my scanner, sir. And I I wrote down an indignant his scanners. That's Spock Station, man. Doesn't uh, doesn't he kind of jump around on the bridge? Like at least in these these three minutes, I was uh, kind of looking for him, <laughs> and and uh, you know it seems like every shot that I see him, he's like in a different chair or something. Uh, yeah, I think it's like a Bugs Bunny playing, you know, catcher and pitcher and shortstop Bugs and first Bugs Bunny and Hoffield Bugs Bunny. So, because yeah, he he was he was he was he had he was at a station a minute ago. Yeah, the yeah, McCoy was over there. Yeah, McCoy was at the science station. He is jumping yeah. around. Oh, I love the inconsistencies of this movie. Good eye, John. Yeah, thanks. I, mostly I noticed it because I think next minute, we'll talk about that, but the camera actually pulls back and you see the whole bridge at once. And I was like, oh, that's what? That's where everybody is? Like, <laughs> but we'll talk about that. Now, Save it. Kirk asks for a short-range scan. So this, I mean, this is kind of the beginning of we know that he kind of knows what he's looking for. But I don't think it's mm-hmm. till the next minute where he kind of reveals what he's thinking. Yep. All right. Now, because of that short-range scan, and again, we'll talk, you know, the technology part of it tomorrow. When they, you know, when they had to bring them up, do they have to decloak at that point? To teleport? Oh. Hmm. Well, they they deliberately cloaked, a, like last week, <laughs> a few minutes ago. They deliberately cloaked when they when the Enterprise arrived in the quadrant or sector. Um, so they're hiding, and yeah, that's a good question. Can they? Can they be? Can they bring someone up? Uh, when it's cloaked, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's a no. Well, I feel like we've had other Star Trek 
cloaking stories before where you, they can't do anything when they're cloaked. They have to decloak to fire. They have to decloak to get the shuttle on board. Or, you know, it's, it's always, there's a lot of power being used to cloak. Well, I always thought it was just the shields. <clears throat> I thought you had to bring down your shields in order to do the, the beaming. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Because, yeah, there are certain things that you can't do while cloaked. And, in fact, they almost made a whole movie about it, Star Trek VI. Um, and um, I always assumed that they just needed to bring the shields down and they could stay cloaked. That would be a huge flaw for, you know, secrecy. Yeah, if they had to, like... Sending in a, st- sending in a stealth mission. Hey, we're going to be cloaked, but, yeah, we got five minutes of uncloak while we transport everyone down <laughs> to the planet. Is that, is that, does transporting happen? Does, do we know how long it takes to transport somebody? We always assume it's kind of real time, right? Because we always see it and, you know, they, they beam off the pad and mm. then they beam onto the planet. But they've never really said. I don't think we've ever gone in depth about beaming. Mm. <laughs> now I'm, I'm just imagining I'm, like I'm, it's, uh, you see some kind of montage or something when, you know the the control the guy at the controls is beaming people out, and then you know he, then it shows him like playing catch with himself, and then you know playing some solitaire, and then <laughs> drinking some coffee, and then he hears from the oh we made it to the planet oh okay great, ding yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna table that one. I want to do some homework about that. Okay. So we're tabling the beaming conversation. How long does it take to beam? So yeah, put it on visual. I think John, you said, you know, Kirk's got a hunch. Yeah, and uh, and we actually get it here, right? We get the um, put on visual, and we're all looking out the view screen, and I can see it. Yeah, and, and I've got oh, an yeah. untrained eye. <laughs> would you now, think that all of them would be like, "What the hell's that? I, what is that? <laughs> Shouldn't that be the first thing they do?" <laughs> what the hell, what the hell is, is that? that? They should all yell at the same time. Cloak. <laughs> well, I guess that begs the question: Is when they're looking through the view view screen, is that just like an open window, or are they seeing like an electronic transmission of what's outside? So maybe, maybe some of them might think that that's just a little fuzzy on the on the transmission. <laughs> it's gonna go over and bang <laughs> the side of the view screen. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I always go I always go to window, John. But you're, you're that's a very good point. It could just be. <laughs> you gotta have yeah. Scotty stand on the side, like you know. Now put your right arm up a little bit. Okay, okay. Now it looks good. <laughs> um, and I think we get a little bit of the sound, the sound too, don't we, Dave? In the uh, we hear we keep calling it the 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 decloaking cloaking sound at the you know. Yeah. We haven't figured out if that's what the bird of prey if it's actually making that noise or it's really part of this you know who can actually hear it is it only the people on the bird of prey or can everybody else hear it um you know or is it just you know part of the soundtrack i don't know but you can hear a little bit of the noise here which i like because then it makes me think that it's always making that noise when it's cloaked i think it's just for our effect (laughs) you keep ruining it for me (laughs) i I want it to be invisible but noisy i think that would be funny like, I don't see anything, but what the hell is, what, what am I hearing? 
Would that be like a uh, like the opposite of a submarine when they're trying to be dead quiet? <laughs> right, exactly. Like, in this case, you can't see them, but you could hear them if you if you're listening. I have a question about uh, growing up. I saw all this stuff, you know, and I saw this all on a TV. You know, it was a the four by three aspect. Mm. Now, hmm. I'm, now I'm trying to remember what you know when they look out a view screen. In my my present mind, it's always widescreen, but I'm trying to think like what this scene would look like on a four by three TV. Like, do they just do they just cut off the sides <laughs> so you don't actually see the whole window? I don't remember what we used to look at back then. It would have to be right. It would have to be. I mean, because almost almost the entire frame of this view screen shot is there's nothing else in the frame but the view screen. So they would have to. They weren't letterboxing it, right? So yeah, if it was on TV, they would have to truncate it. We'd be missing the edges, the 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 left and right side. So we wouldn't even be seeing half of that shimmer right there. (gasps) You're right. Maybe that's it. It's it's a pan and scan glitch. Uh. <laughs> so speaking of submarines, I think this this moment, this kind of back half of this minute is uh, with Krug. You know, uh, Maltz is calling out the range, and Krug is you know steady, steady, wait. You know, he's, as it, he's waiting for the Enterprise to get closer and closer. I think it's got very much of that you know submarine hunt vibe to it again, which you know we had a lot of that in in Wrath of Khan and the Mutara Nebula, but it's fun to see it again here. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I think the lighting definitely, which I, from a, from the Klingon side, I think is fantastic, and it definitely makes me think of, you know, something like a hunt, fun for Red October, and you know when they're going silent and the lights change and everything's red, and yeah, it totally has that, that feel. Um, yeah, I think that's one reason I don't really like. Well, I, we still haven't. This week, we still haven't seen the full bridge in one shot. Um, but I think that's why I don't like the bridge in the, on the Enterprise that much, because we're so used to in submarine warfare. We're so like the Klingons doing it right as far as you got the light, but also the fact that they all kind of seem to be on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Like it's submarines. You don't right. really have like large rooms that are, you know, pretty spacious and kind of empty. And so it's. Yeah, that's saying it's wrong. It just doesn't, you know, it, it it doesn't remind me of that same thing. So it feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point, too, is that the I, I think this is a new version of the Enterprise set. I don't think this is the same set from Wrath of Khan. I think they, I think they kind of famously they throw them out every time. Um, but this mm-hmm. set uh, feels a little bigger. And maybe it's because there's less people in it, too. There's It's not a fully staffed bridge. So to your yeah yeah so it doesn't that's have what, that crowded feel. That's what I originally thought too. Yeah, I think there's because there's less people on the on the bridge, so it feels mm. more spread out. Because in most shots, it's either Kirk and Sulu, or Kirk and Chekhov, or Kirk and McCoy, or I mean, you never see like the whole breadth of everyone at once. I think we saw one or yeah. two shots at the very beginning. So is that what's been is that what is that and so yeah is that what's been bothering me for all these bridge scenes is like ugh. I think it's because there's not a clipboard <laughs> person. I think that's yeah. I think really that's what's missing. Um. So I I I mean like I said I I, I like the I like the approach of the Enterprise and Malt's calling things out. Um, 
I, I, I like just the way Maltz is talking. 2,000 Galagams. Mm. I, I, I... 3,000. Now, who plays um, Maltz again, Chris? Everybody says it's John Larroquette, but I'm not buying it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks right. for making you made, you had to make me say it, though. Just making sure. Okay, now that I'm here, which uh, where would I see that guy? He is at. So we don't see Maltz. We don't see no, no. Maltz in this episode. In no, this he's minute. there. We see next him next no, he's minute. there. He's um. If you go out to like if is about he? minute, uh, sorry, second fifty. Oh, um, yep. He he's in the yep, background. That's right. You see him in the, the background. Distance. Hard to see. It's pretty hard to see him, but yes. Oh, he's like the back yeah. in the fog kind of. Yeah. Yep. You get a you get a good look. Okay. Next, so I want I want to see this. It's not him, so you don't you don't have to worry about it, John. <laughs> well, I want to I want to see it because uh, I I never know I don't even know these Klingon names. I know you guys have been saying them, and I never I, I don't I don't hear Klingon. So when they're talking to each other, I don't know what's a name. I don't know what's a door. <laughs> I don't know anything. Open the malts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I've, I've so my favorite part of this minute. I've been dying to get to it. Is it's right at the very end here. So, right. Oh my God! Right, Krug says, "Stand by to end. transfer energy to weapons." At my command. So, it it's it, it's not even the words that he says that is the best is part. Is his face? It's, his it's the yeah. looking around like. <laughs> uh, Right at my command. It's. I think it's a brilliant. It's. It's brilliant. It's. It's hilarious. I mean, it's. You know, it's serious. You know, because it's a tension, tense scene, but it's hilarious. It's. Uh, I. I would love to see the behind the scenes of this. How they. How they put this together. You know, was this a, Christopher Lloyd, just, threw this in here. He. You know. He made made it look funny or did Leonard Nimoy ask him to do that um I just think it's I mean it, it it's brilliant I, I love it yeah I agree I I I just it, it's almost like he's he's questioning but he the, the words that he says he says at my command but he's almost looking as if he's like at my command well there must be something going on there because at the at the beginning of this minute when the guys the other guy that I don't know his name Torque. is talking to him Torque. and telling him, yeah, Torque. like he does a couple little eye flickers too as he's kind of finishing his the his thing. So I don't know if no, they're just a, maybe nobody on this bridge is very confident, or maybe that's just something Klingons do when they're finishing their talk. <laughs> I don't know. They just none of them trust each other. I think that's the problem. Well, they don't, as we learned in Next Generation, the. The way to get ahead is by killing your captain so that you can take captainship of the vessel. So the so Klingons are like Sith? Oh. Well, in that respect, I guess. A yeah. lot more than, There's more than two, more of than them two on the bridge, yeah. 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 yeah, which I'm fine with that. <laughs> I, I really, so the first, uh, in this minute, other than the other than his look at, the, at, at my command, I really, really like the lighting that is done at the very beginning for the first like 10, 11 seconds that high contrast red across uh, Krug's face just, I feel like it's just, it is such a, it's fan, It just draws me in. It's it, and to what Jonathan said before about submarine battles. It just draws me further into the battle. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's a, uh, it's not as 
the lighting's not not the same in the back half of the minute. No, that's that's one of the inconsistencies about this minute that I don't like is that you get this really bright, intense, con- high contrast red across their faces, and then it's very muted um, in the back half when Maltz is calling out Calicams and he's saying transfer, you know, t- transfer we- yep. energy to weapons. I wish they had kept it that other way. I, th- I feel like it would have been much more, much more intense. We, I think, I think what we've learned here in Star Trek Minute is, we would like the entire movie all the time to be in red alert. Yeah, it's pretty much. <laughs> I think so. Yes, we're in. Although, is is their ceiling like a circus tent, or is that just the reflection of the lights? It's totally a circus tent. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. <laughs> That's exactly yes. I think we. I think we've commented on that a couple of times. Yes. Oh my God. All right, gentlemen, any other notes for this, for this one? Okay. So I just, no real notes, just keeping in mind what the, both, both ships are going at impulse power, correct? At this point. And that's just, well, for the Klingons, they got to keep everything low key. And then the enterprise, they're just going on impulse just because they're looking around. I think so. They're just strolling in, right? Yeah. Is impulse pretty yep. much anything that's not warp speed? <laughs> or what's is there in between? It seems like there'd have to be an in between. Well there's one quarter impulse. Well there's maneuvering thrusters, which is I think they're sort of slow uh slow speed, and then there's the impulse versions, you know, quarter, half, whatever, and then I think you go from full impulse, I think your next jump is to warp point five or warp one. So if you're going that's <laughs> It's, I keep making these things longer, but if, if, if you're traveling around a planet, you know, that's some version of impulse speed, but what if you're going from one planet to another planet? Like you don't want to just be going impulse or I guess I don't know how fast a full impulse is. Yeah. I don't think so. Or can you go, can you go multiples of an impulse? Like five times double, impulse? Double impulse. I don't think, yeah, I, I think it's, you go full <laughs> impulse and I think that's I, it. So this seems kind of this seems kind of slow. Like if I was going to fly from Mercury to Pluto, <laughs> I'd be want to you know. Do you want to? You don't want to warp that. Well, that's know. that happened, right? That was in if if you um, in the Enterprise series, I think they talk about they talk about traveling at warp through the solar system and like oh we got to Neptune in you know a few seconds or whatever, um, implying that it would have taken a while to get there just on impulse. Yeah, you know it's. It, I guess it seems it seems unsafe, but I guess if it works, <laughs> seems, yeah, right. I think this is uh, I, I think I think we are all showing right now our our level of bad Trekkie because there are Trekkies <laughs> who know like duh, oh, yeah, impulse is one tenth the speed of 0.5 warp. You know there there is obviously there's got to be a there's there's math there, right? There's someone knows. I don't know what it is. Well, good. I look forward to the comments because <laughs> I want to know, but I don't want to look it up. So <laughs> you should be a guest host on Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, uh, I have another question for you. Um, it, search for Spock, uh, Star Trek three. Uh, this is, we've, we've talked about this a couple of times and, and uh, we haven't had a ton of guests on this season, but uh, one of the questions I have for people is, is what do you think about Star Trek three overall in 
<clears throat> relation to the Wrath of Khan, because the searcher spot kind of undoes a lot of what yeah, happened in the Wrath of Khan. I mean, it, how do you how do you feel about that? It 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 does it does a good thing in the way that it gives us Spock back for the next few movies, but well, I guess it gives us Spock back for you know lots of movies, even the reboots. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. There's probably a better way to do it, or at least a way that I would like it better, because I don't I don't like that Carol Marcus isn't in this movie. That's fine that she's not in the movie, but it feels like she's not in it for a reason because of what they've done to project Genesis with the, you know, proto matter and, and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, it just kind of, I guess to me, how much was Roddenberry involved in this movie? Uh, I think he was still just, uh, I think he's still an executive consultant or something. Yeah. He's, he did, he did not he's have a, producer, a lot of direct yeah. uh, influence on things. Sure. Cause I, at least to me, what I always heard was like Roddenberry and what he wanted from Star Trek was this, this like hopeful, hopeful mm -hmm. future. And for this Project Genesis, that kind of felt like that was, you know, they were even trying to keep it out of the military's hands. Like this was, you know, scientists for the noble purpose. Like this is something creating life. And like, you know, it kind of put it on the pinnacle of we're doing this for the best of everybody. And then... And then in this movie, they introduced that as proto-matter and they basically sabotage their own experiment. And, you know, it's all just blah, just back to normal. You know, everybody took kinda, hope away. quick make a buck or, you know, taking the shortcuts and all that kind of stuff. It kind of cheapens it up. Oh, well, I hadn't thought about it that way. But I'm glad that Carol's not in this movie, if they're going to do that, because... At least, you know, at least in my mind, she's kind of scot-free. She's kind of above it. And you can put it in, you put it all on David. Yeah, that's you can fine. absolutely put it. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely. And I think that's the vibe you get is that you could totally put it all on. This is all David's fault. He had, Carol had nothing to do with it. And although it is fun to speculate that she was totally in on it. And it was, they both knew what they were doing. But uh, they definitely seem to be deliberately moving away from that. Does does Kirk, I, I guess he probably does in some debrief, but I was like, if Kirk ever finds out that it was all proto-matter and that they were cheating, and if Carol was involved, then he's going to be like, what, you were giving me all that grief for nothing? <laughs> all that, you know, cutting corners and cheating my way through things? <laughs> that would be a fun little, you know, uh, after credit scene. <laughs> hey, did you know David died? And oh, by the way, oh. <laughs> can't believe you cheated. No, you're all a right. big liar. Well, on that note, gentlemen, shall we uh, wrap it up here and... Uh, come back together on Friday. Sure, cool. Well, John, you want to let folks Sounds know where uh, where they can find you on the uh, on the interwebs while they're uh, waiting here from you. Sure thing. Um, the the princessbrideminute.com. We've got ninety nine episodes. Actually, we have a hundred episodes, but ninety nine of them are of the movie. And uh, Steve, last one. I also um, were involved in that whole Die Hard Minute thing. And as we're recording, our week has just finished. So, or our first week, I should say. We'll have our second week coming up as well as everybody else. And uh, yeah, so lots of things going on. Excellent. And yeah, you can find, uh, you can find us um, 
uh, over on the Facebooks. Uh, we've got a uh, the Star Trek Minute Listener Federation over there. It's a group you can join up and uh, um, join the conversation, talk about these uh, these minutes or uh, favorite things going on in the Star Trek universe, whether it's Star Trek Discovery or the other films, favorite moments, um, uh, favorite conspiracy theories. We love to hear those. Uh, so definitely check that out. And uh, we'll be back again on Friday uh, talking about Minute 64. Minute 64 of the search for Spock. You're at the Star Trek. You're at the Star Trek, Star Trek Minute. <laughs> Bye now.